0: Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus spoke these words, lifting up his eyes to heaven and saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Our Lord this morning, as he lifts his eyes to heaven in prayer to the Father, and we are brought into this prayer he talks about the authority that has been given to him over all flesh. This authority over all flesh that our Lord has been given is especially underlined for us in the Feast of Ascension that we continue to celebrate today. He has authority over all flesh because in his body he kept the commandments of God, he was pure, undefiled, and in vindication of his life, his truth, what he came to do, he was raised in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has authority over all flesh because he redeemed all of our flesh. And in the ascension, we have the completion of his journey down to this world to live among us, to be one of us, to sacrifice for us. And then, in the ascension, to complete the sacrifice by being taken up into heaven to sit down at the right hand of God the Father in his flesh. Resurrected, purified, but he sits at the right hand of God the Father in flesh. So, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ has authority over all of us. And as we see, this is a glory that he has from the Father that he has now shared with us. Now, you may be wondering, why aren't we continuing on with this theme of ascension? Maybe another reading from another gospel at the end uh, about the ascension. But we have the Fathers put in between ascension and Pentecost, the commemoration of the Holy Father's Of the first ecumenical council, and I have have the icon out here in the center. It's a very busy icon. Some icons are simple, just a person. This has a lot going on in the icon, and you can see if you look at the icon. I'm going to step away for a second. When you come up to venerate, or if you have venerated and you're wondering what's (coughs) going on, you see many resonances already, actually, with the ascension icon. If you look at the Ascension icon, you can see that he is enthroned, or he's in a position of glory. And then you see these little bands, kind of like semicircles. Well, the same theme is taken up in the gathering of the Fathers of the Ecumenical Council. They have the bands. Children, I have a question for you. What does the Fathers of the Ecumenical Council, what does this icon look like? Does it remind you of another icon that we have? One that might be coming out soon. In a week, <laughs> starts with a P, <laughs> Pentecost, yes, this icon resembles the Pentecost icon. This icon is an image of the gathered church, but especially this particular gathered church is the fathers of the first ecumenical council. And who is in the center? If we look at the ascension, we can see the apostles as they're looking up, and we have the Theotokos as an example or image of the church in supplication to her son as he raises up into the heavens. But who sits enthroned at this ecumenical council? Well, it doesn't actually have a person. It has a gospel book, and in other uh, depictions you'll have the Holy Spirit, But it's basically, Christ is enthroned in the center of the church, and all of his bishops, his overseers, episcopoi, that we heard Paul giving a uh, warning to in today's epistle. Not these particular bishops, but the presbyters, the episcopoi that gathered together there on his journey. And we see all the fathers. We have... Uh, the Pope of Rome. That's why he has this nice, glorious tiara on. Uh, We have St. Spiridon with his uh, shepherd tiara, I'll call it. Uh, And we have all of the fathers from St. Spiridon to the Pope of Rome at the time to St. Athanasius the Great. And we have here for us to remember as the church gathered together. As our Lord is enthroned, beside God the Father and is given authority over all flesh, there's an authority that he has given to his church, an authority that he shares, that he delegates. And as we see in the icon, that he's delegated to the fathers of the first ecumenical council. And this is an authority that is then delegated on through the ages with our bishops, with the priesthood, the diaconate in Christ. And I would even say... Of course, the laity, the God-fearing and pious laity who will accept the teachings of the council. Or they may say, no, fathers, you have assembled and you have spoken incorrectly. But this authority that has been given over to the church is an authority that uh, that we hear in the triparting for this feast. The fathers have been put as lights on the earth that you're for this feast. You are most glorious, O Christ, our God. You have established the Holy Fathers as lights on the earth. Through them you have guided us to the true faith. O greatly compassionate one, glory to you. Our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ has given his authority, as, not given as in he's absent, but he delegates it to his church and this is for them to be a light on the earth for why did the first ecumenical council gather? What was the problem? Not rhetorical. What was the problem? Arius children. Do you remember who Arius is? Yes. Who is Arius? He was teaching, yes, he was teaching Paul's teaching. Do you remember what Arius taught? Teenagers? Oh, that's Nestorius later. But close. <laughs> what? Close. So Arius was teaching that Jesus Christ was not fully God, that he was a created being, that he was not of one essence with the Father. Now you can imagine as we're uh, celebrating ascension, that this presents a problem. If it is not God who took our flesh and has seated it at the right hand of God the Father, then how is our flesh, how are we to be purified? How, let's get really simple, how can we be saved? So the fathers are set as a light upon the earth because... Now, this might be easier. Who is this fellow who's closing his ears and kind of writhing in pain down at the bottom of the icon? Arius. Arius. He doesn't want to hear what the fathers have to say. He's given opportunity. This is not that he is not given an opportunity. There's long debates. There's back and forth. He's given opportunity to repent. He's still... Well, I won't go into all the details. I mean, you can ask me afterwards about how the church remembers how he died before. But Arius is, and you'll hear, maybe you guess somebody like Nestorius, because as we come to these feasts, you will hear the names of those who taught falsely, not as icons, but kind of like anti-icons in a certain sense. This is who we do not want to hear. This is not who we should follow. But our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, in putting the Holy Fathers as light on the earth, they protect us. This gathering of the fathers is an protection, a clarification, shedding light on what might seem obscure to us. Because as Paul says today in the epistle, that we are... He's speaking to the overseers this time. Take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Arius was one of the church. He wasn't a bishop, but he was a presbyter. He had teaching authority. He had people listening to him. He was the Pied Piper, right? Singing the tunes, because he would actually set his teaching to the local tavern songs so that they could sing the songs about Arius. So you can imagine how this was the pop hit of the fourth century, right? Right. But this gets, it's like an earworm, right? It gets into your ear, and then it starts to affect what you believe. Not only what you believe, but what you do. For there are wolves that come in among the flock. And they come in among the flock. They do come from the outside. But Paul is clear to say there are wolves that come from within. And that we need to take heart, and we need to look to... The teachings of the fathers. This is why the church puts before us the fathers of the first ecumenical council. And we sing songs like this from Vespers last night. The foolish Arius blasphemed the holy trinity, dividing the persons into three different unequal substances. Basically, you had three, one God, two kind of gods, or maybe not God. It wasn't really clear. But the God-bearing fathers denounced his confusion. They assembled with the zeal of Elijah, destroying error with the sword of the spirit, as they were directed by the inspiration of God. The zeal of Elijah, destroying error with the sword of the spirit. The God-bearing fathers that we commemorate today heeded the words of the Apostle Paul to their forefathers in the faith to keep the word of God as our Lord says in this prayer that we heard this morning from the gospel to keep the word of God is to keep the church because there is an intimate unity because we do not gather together as the church just to have a good time it's good that we all love each other and like each other But that is not the essence of the church. The essence of the church is built upon the truth of the gospel. And you may have wondered, if you've ever seen this icon before, what is going on at the very top? You have areas at the bottom, and you have the very top. Can anyone guess? It's an altar. And you have a little child on the altar. Can you all guess who the little child is? Jesus. There's a story from around the time of the council, because of the division that had been in entering the church, dividing the church, and then would continue even after the council of Nicaea, that you have at the top, Jesus appeared to one of the bishops who assembled at Nicaea, and he had his garment torn. And he tells the bishop, my garment is torn because of the teachings of Arius, his garment is torn, meaning that the church had been divided. The unity of the church divided because of a loss of the truth of the gospel, the loss of keeping the word of God. As Paul said to those who gathered together on his journey. So now, brethren, I commend to you, you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The church is a defender of the truth, the truth of the gospel. This asks of us at least two things that I want to underline for us. That is a zeal like Elijah. Now, do you remember Elijah? Do you remember The issues that Elijah had. He's kind of the depressed prophet, right? He was the one who's kind of like, nobody's with me. I'm all by myself. What can I do? So for the hymn to talk about the zeal of Elijah is to see him after he has been sustained, helped (laughs) by our Lord, to be able to stand up to the prophets To have the fire come down from the heavens and consume the altar. To have zeal according to the truth of the gospel. But this truth, as we seek it out through scripture and the teachings of the fathers, is not something that just kind of stands on its own. It's not that we could just get up and then read the creed, or if you've encountered people and you're like, I wish I could say something. Maybe if I just said some blatant, bold statement, they would understand. They would you know, be converted to Jesus. This is not usually the way of the fathers. This is not usually what we see in scripture. From time to time, this happens. But we need zeal according to knowledge. And we need zeal according to what Paul's example set before these overseers that he was giving a word of warning Paul points to himself. He says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. While the fathers of the first ecumenical council gathered together to declare and defend the truth, become lights upon the earth, that light was not just the plain, simple truth of the gospel. That was absolutely part of it, but it was a light that shone through their own lives. It was a light that we see in St. Nicholas, the wonder worker who gathered at the first ecumenical council, who went out of his way to give, to shepherd his flock, or to St. Spiridon, or any of the other fathers who gathered together that they, in the example of St. Paul, knew that it was better to give than to receive, that they knew that it was in their following of the example of our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Zeal according to knowledge and zeal according to the sword of the Spirit means zeal according to the logic of the cross. And so while we exalt In our holy fathers today and the truth, the zeal that they had, we must remember for ourselves to first imitate their zeal for the truth, learning what the church teaches, abiding by what the church teaches, even if there are those who critique or are critical of it, that you understand what the church teaches But then at the same time, it's one thing to understand, it's another thing to understand, then use that as a weapon without discernment, without zeal, according to conformity to the examples of the Holy Fathers. We keep the word of our Lord, his teachings and the teachings of the church, especially when we keep the example of their lives foremost in our minds and humility in giving rather than receiving. This is the glory that our Lord God and Savior shares with us. It is the glory of our exalted humanity that we have the great privilege of sharing. May our Lord God and Savior this week remind us to become lights upon the earth, Understanding what the church and the gospel requires of us and teaches us, and also abiding in that truth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.